Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Uh, for a long time, many people have been asking me to do a show on speed flying, and uh, it's taken me a while to track some folks down that wanted to do that, although I do a lot of speed flying. Uh, we've had, many of you know this, uh, in Sun Valley, we've had quite a bit of issues with the the speed flying community, uh, which I'm definitely one of those uh, folks, but um, it's been really tricky here and it's just like that in the states everywhere because there's very few places that have lift access flying, paragliding, speed flying, whatever you want to call it. And this is one of them, one of the few in the states. Uh, many places like Jackson and Alta that did have banned it because of accidents. And it's been something that we have uh, had trouble really uh, trying to protect. We had a death here last year on the mountain, on the ski area. Uh, a kid was uh, breaking the kind of the rule that we have to try to protect the skiers. We're obviously worried about the pilots as well, but you know when you have lift access, you've got to you've got to really protect uh, the ski area and the clients of the ski area, which are the, those that are on the mountain. So. Anyway, we've we've finally just recently, I hope, really resolved that, and uh, so this show is is not really about that issue, but it's about speed flying in general. People wanted to know tactics and strategies and how you should learn. It's a super exciting, very new sport. It's also pretty cowboy, which is totally cool. I'm into that and uh, into stuff without rules. But the the fact of the matter is, there's just been way too many accidents, way too many fatal accidents. It's hard for insurance. I think this is a, a, an issue that most countries and most federations and clubs and stuff are really trying to deal with. So uh, we wanted to just shed some light on some of that. So this isn't so much about how to become a great uh, speed pilot, whether that's speed riding or mini wings or uh, whatever you like to pursue, but it is a bit of a warning for people that are, you know, wanting to take it up. I, I believe, and so does my guest, Patrick Hennessy, that you should really get a base foundation in flying, uh, in flying paragliders, before you get into speed flying. So you understand weather and ground handling, and uh, you understand the physics and dynamics of flying a wing. Uh, because when you get into speed flying, of course, you're flying low and really fast, and you don't have any protection, and you don't have any reserve. So. Uh, there's just a lot more inherent risks, and that's showing up in the st statistics, but uh, I really believe it can be done very safely uh, with the right preparation and the right training, just like paragliding can and hang gliding, what we always talk about on the show. So if you're into speed flying, if you're into flying mini wings, I think you're going to dig it. If you're not, you could probably skip this one, but uh, got together with Patrick Hennessy, who's a pilot up in the Northwest here in the States, who uh, has some awesome videos. He's th he throws down pretty hard, flies a lot of, uh, does a lot of first descents, uh, a lot of hike and fly type stuff, and uh, is, a, I think, a real ambassador for speed flying. So it came highly recommended. We had a great talk. So please enjoy this talk with Patrick Hennessy. Patrick, really awesome to have you on the show. Welcome to the Mayhem. Uh, this is the first show we've done specific to speed flying and speed wings and speed riding. So this is going to be this is going to be really cool. I've been following your stuff online for a bit. I was really happy that uh, you were introduced to me and and said, "Hey, you got to talk to Patrick," because I've been looking for someone that would be uh, you know appropriate to talk to about this whole kind of mini wing side of things. Uh, before we get into that, I would just dig to hear, and I think the audience would too. Those that I know a lot are familiar with you and your flying, um, but probably a lot aren't, especially our European and Australian, New Zealand listeners and that kind of thing. So um, I, I understand also from, you know, before we started recording that you kind of got into this in a different way. So why don't you uh, elaborate on that? How'd you get into flying and what was the catalyst and where did you come from? Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much, Gavin, for having me on your uh, show here and uh giving me the opportunity to get out there. I started out a very different background than most people. I grew up in a bike shop, so I came from years of downhill mountain bike racing and doing snow sports and other types of sports that were high-speed, high-intensity reaction sports. And from there, learned a lot about progression and how to keep yourself safe because all of those sports beat you up. I actually started out as a skydiver and worked at Skydive Snohomish up here in Washington State and became a packer first off, I mean, before I even really got into skydiving, 
I started packing a lot so I could really get an idea of how the canopies worked, what exactly goes into flight in one of these things, and how to do it safely and keep yourself from having malfunctions with your, your canopy and whatnot. So, yeah, I got into skydiving a lot, realized that it's something that wasn't sustainable for winter sports up here. So pretty quickly got into speed flying just because it's rad. You can go fly with your skis on and you don't need an airplane. You can go ski tour out into the backcountry and just enjoy your time out in the mountains and kind of have a peaceful way to be out in your canopy and just fly around in the mountains. So in terms of that, started out with a basic paragliding progression, took a P1 course through one of our local groups here, and they actually um, specifically shaped it towards speed fly progressions which is awesome but yeah i learned a lot about the thermals learned a lot about the wind conditions we live in a pretty active place up here in washington where things change quick in the mountains so you really want to be able to be on top of that and understand what's going on with the elements around you just like any other sport you got to read the elements that you're surrounded by but yeah aerial paragliding out of Washington out and out of Kashmir, Washington. Aerial paragliding is a great course. Doug and Denise run the place, and they're uh, really good instructors. So, great insight. So that was at the ranch. Yeah, at the ranch. Oh, okay, I didn't know they were teaching yeah. speed flying. So they, yeah, they, they they strayed away from it a little bit just because of liability, but a few lucky guys got a good bit of instruction from them there. So P one. So you took a. a a standardized paragliding course from, from Doug and Denise. Is that, is that right? Before you got into speed flying? Yeah. And, um, Doug and Denise have a really good zone there. It's a very beginner hill. Feels like what I'm used to with ski instructing, uh, putting yourself on a, on a very green slope, learning how to do the basics off of something where you're really comfortable. And that's what I would recommend for anyone as a progression. Start out small, do lots of launches and lots of landings in a very familiar landscape where you're comfortable. Get those launches and landings dialed before you go anywhere else with it because those are the two hardest parts about flying is getting a solid launch and a solid landing. Yeah, you don't get hurt in the air, do you? You get hurt in the Usually not, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, for the – for the purposes of all of you listening, uh, you know, I do a lot of speed flying and a lot of speed riding, but for the purposes of this interview, uh, you know, I'm going to take Patrick through kind of like I didn't know anything about it. I think it'll just make things cleaner. But Patrick, one of the things that not bothered me, but it's, it concerns me uh, a lot about this mm-hmm. new sport is that it's one super awesome and uh you know it's just wicked fun and a little bit very addictive, yeah. yeah i mean very few people could you know do it and not like it right you're you're flying mm-hmm. really fast close to the ground it's it's really exciting there's a ton of adrenaline but you know kind of like skydiving it's it's in a, in a sense uh but there's a big difference there's it's really hard to get much real canopy time you know unless you're ridge soaring which has its own risks on a speed wing for sure especially if you know if it's thermic which is pretty dicey but you know to you've got to get thousands of flights on a speed wing to get even close to the hours you could get on a paraglider yeah. in the first two yeah. years right and so and it seems to me like with with uh skydiving or paragliding or hang gliding you know they've learned over the years that there's a you know there's a progression here's you know that this is what you learn on day one and this is what you should learn on day two and they take you through you know a course and the courses are you know, admittedly, yeah. very, very different. If you're in Germany or Switzerland or Australia, we all have our own Ushpas and yeah. we all have our own rating systems and our own instruction schools. You know, Denise and, and uh, Denise's school is going to be a lot different than somebody down in Texas, right? But the yeah, but the problem different. is with speed flying is like, like whatever. I, I shouldn't. I'm just starting it off negative. The problem, <laughs> but it's not. But the the thing with speed flying, it's so new. Is as I see it. Yeah, a lot it's of people very are minimally regulated in comparison to the other sports. Yeah. And you look at skydiving, and with skydiving, you have to have all sorts of progressions before you can downsize wings, before you can go to a different drop zone and be able to land in their smaller landing zones. Um, all these things are very regulated, whereas speed flying, most people, yeah, they can grab a wing and kind of set their own rate of progression and progress as fast as they want to, which in some cases is a little too fast for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and that kind of lack of, 
one thing that's super cool about it is that it is cowboy and you know all sports go through that you know that zone but i i am seeing you know just a ton of what i would call super unnecessary accidents and i'm just mm-hmm. wondering you know those of you who are kind of pioneering it and leading the charge and and uh you know getting your friends into it and stuff well you know what would be new guy comes to you off the street i want to get into speed flying what do you tell him to do yeah, so I mean, I have the same scenario happening with me a lot right now. A lot of friends are coming up to me and being like, I love watching what you're doing. It looks great. I want to do it. My first response usually is, no, you don't. You, you got to get an understanding of what you're getting into before you really get into it. Because, um, yeah, everyone just sees flying. They see floating around. They see having a good time. They don't understand a lot of the real big logistics that go into the background of them and being able to stay alive and stay safe out there. And I mean, the big thing I could tell you is, for one, start small, just like any sport. Start out on a big, easy wing that's going to float around, and you're going to get a really good idea of how to use your harness for control, use your hips, use your input. Everything's very different if you come from a big wing and paragliding, or if you come from skydiving. Speed wings handle much quicker in terms of your weight balance control through the hips. You don't really have much of that in skydiving since you're attached at the shoulders. And with paragliding, they're just such bigger wings that the the time it takes to react is a lot longer than in a speed wing. So you see a lot of people jumping into a speed wing, and the first thing they do, first launch, is they start penduling the whole way down, back and forth, swinging back and forth, just because they're using too much hip input and not sitting themselves center. Hmm. So Kind of overcorrecting all the way down the mountain. Overcorrecting the whole way down until they get a flare off, and hopefully that flare is somewhat level because – that could be a bad scenario if you come in just swinging the whole way down. So am I, am I hearing correctly that, you know, should, should, should pilots get their, you know, P2, P3 before they ever even try a mini wing? You know, that's a tough one. I really think that depends on somebody's background. Um, a lot of people come into this sport not really having much experience with um, high speed or reactionary sports to begin with. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's a very intense reactionary sport you got to be able to be on top of it and make decisions within a millisecond sometimes but you know for someone that comes into it with no experience yes highly recommended go get a lot of experience in a paraglider starting as a skydiver makes a difference but it's still a bit different if you're going to come over from a skydiving background at least get some basic information basic course off of a paragliding course just because it's very different. You go out into the mountains, you have to read the thermals, you have to read any type of burble that's going to come off of a single ridge. Within skydiving, you're out in open spaces. You're not thinking about any of that. It's just, yeah, you read what wind direction you get, and that's what your windsock tells you for your landing, and you come in for landing. It's pretty straightforward. Mountains are not as forgiving. So Mm. um, highly recommended that you get a good bit of knowledge of thermic wind activity and yeah p1 p2 p3 would be great to have before getting into this one of the things that struck me that that, you know the first time so i i had thousands of hours uh, paraglided before i ever got on a mini wing it just wasn't on my radar because i was sailing around the world and you know Mm -hmm. himalayas and that that wasn't it it just wasn't happening yet so when i got back to catch him um some of the some of my friends here were were flying really mini wings the whole speed wing thing hadn't really even arrived yet and yeah, it's a pretty uh, you know, new sport yeah and i you know the first time i jumped on a bobcat i mean i was i was it was my very first flight i was doing barrel rolls all the all the way to the ground i was like i cannot oh, believe man. how easy these things are and to fly now i am not recommending that to to anybody no, but it was because i knew how to fly a, a paraglider you know it was, interesting wings they handle a little funny yeah yeah and it, it was it was you know i but it, what struck me was you know i was just hooping and hollering all the way to the ground yeah and what yeah. but what struck me was like that was way too easy. Like that wing mm-hmm. was way too easy for me to do stuff that, you know, yeah. that, that I should have had more hours to have to figure out. And so Agreed. what I, what I kind of, you know, thought in my head and you, you know, you should confirm this, but it was, was just that I, I think that's one of the things that makes 
speed wings dangerous is that they are really dumb wings. In other words, they're, and, and I don't mean that as a negative. Yeah. What I mean is they're, you know, they're, they're, they're fairly simple to figure out. Yeah, exactly. They're mm-hmm. pretty simple machines. And, uh, yeah. and yet you're flying really fast and you're flying Agreed. pretty low. And so how do you, you know, you were talking about like, you know, it really depends on the person and their, you know, what they've, where they've come from in terms of their, you know, how, how far do they look ahead and, you know, are they a race car driver, you know, and I totally get that, but how do you, how do you hand over that kind of equipment to somebody and, and teach them to go slow? How do you, how do you teach them to be conservative? That's a tough one because you just look at the the modern society we live in and everyone wants to go fast. Everyone's like, oh, I can do that and jump into (laughs) it as quick as they can. But the biggest thing that I would tell them is, you know, there are a ton of consequences with this sport. And I'm pretty sure every one of us that do this at the level we do it at have been in accidents. I've, I've been in the trees once or twice and had a mislaunch once or twice that could have been a lot worse than it was. But realize that you should learn from other people's mistakes and really take that progression serious so that you don't have to learn from your own mistakes. I have a ton of friends recently getting hurt from things that really shouldn't happen, either clipping a tree or getting sucked behind the burble on a soaring ridge on the coast. And yeah, I mean, they're going through months of rehab or hospitalization that it's not fun. Nobody wants to go through that. So we all want to do these sports for a long time. Just try to remember that, you know, it is a high consequence sport. Once you get into it and you start realizing that it is that easy to go fly the terrain through the trees that you want to fly, remember that you clip a wing on a tree and you're going to be asking for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that I mean that that's perfect. I'm I'm just wondering is there is there a big push in the in the sport to you know, to develop uh, an acumen, to develop a, a course to what, you know, what's, what's happening from the legal side of things, you know, it, like tell me about PASA and, and that types, you know, what, what's, what's happening to try to um, reduce the, the accidents. And I, and I don't know if you can speak for other countries because I can't very well, but. Yeah. So it's interesting that you asked that because I just joined a team based out of uh, New Zealand called Ultimate Edge. Mm-hmm. And when I went to New Zealand last time, their regulations are much more strict, um, mostly because of the amount of tourist traffic they have with helicopters and whatnot, and just overall regulations with paragliders flying up around the island. Um, they have a lot of air traffic in that small of a space. But their regulations are much more precise than what we have up here, just because they want to keep people safe. And it's funny when you think about cowboy. I always thought New Zealand was a cowboy island and everything was just wild and Everyone does whatever they want to do down there. But as soon as I got down there, I really like seeing how much regulation they have. Tell me, can, give me some specifics. Tell me what, what are they, like what? Well, for instance, you go to Queenstown and they have their, their gondola that you're able to go take the chair up and do laps on it all day. But you have to check in with the regulation down below with the group. There's a club that actually maintains and manages the landing area there as well as the launch. Um, you have to check in with them. You have to make sure that you're actually certified. You have your P2 license. And within New Zealand, you have to have a whole separate paragliding license that you have to apply for. Same with skydiving, a whole separate license that you have to apply for when you go there. And is that is that, quote unquote, a, a paragliding license or is that actually a speed wing license? That one's a paragliding license. And okay. the big part of that is um, just the fact that they have a ton of tourists coming out there to go fly and i think they have to figure out a different way to really regulate mm. liability for tourism so and what's happening here in the states you know they are starting to push mini wing licenses but it's it's a small thing that's um it's not as heard of mostly because a lot of resorts a lot of places that are public to us flying aren't legal for us to fly there i don't think there's a single ski resort in the states that allow speed riding uh, we we have it here. 
we uh I, it's not something i should probably make public because yeah. we don't want to sh- get it shut down but it's yeah. you know we we have a um we're allowed to to ski launch off baldy you know so it's lift access uh okay. but you can't speed ride so let, let's let's define yeah. a few things so um you know mini wings speed wings speed riding you know give give everybody There's a definition a lot of, of yeah. flying yeah. within the sport exactly I, speed riding to me is you know you're you're on the train and uh you're tiny wing for the most yeah. part and so mm-hmm. we we can fly any size wing but we got to stay 150 feet off the ground over okay. the runs you know so yes so we can't speed ride but we can yeah. you know we yeah. can speed we can fly tiny wings as long as we can make it to the lz and you know it's lift access so it's it's super special and one of the reasons i was really excited to talk to you is that you know that has been a pretty serious battle uh for a lot of years and it has been yeah. very uncomfortable at times because there's been some pretty serious accidents including mm-hmm. a death last year um yeah. and uh you know and it's it's been this real you know it's been like this bipartisan thing the speed wingers against the paragliders which has been really frustrating because most of the guys that are like me that fly paragliders we also fly small wings and so yeah, yeah. we've just recently made huge ground there and i'm super excited about it one of the speed guys is on the board and so that'll be terrific but see that's good to hear and we have a little bit of that up here i know uh christopher marin who flies um for red bull guys as well and maintains a lot of the flying up at crystal mountain mm-hmm They've got permission to fly there, um, and he does a great job with it. He actually checks to make sure people have their mini wing license or P2 license before they come out and fly. Mm. But similar deal, not really allowed to speed ride, more or less a launch and land scenario. Yeah, yeah. So so that's all very much still transient being defined, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's good to see the progression heading that way, and I feel like – just like any sport, base jumping in Yosemite, if it were legal, things would be a little bit less dangerous in terms of when people go out there and do this stuff. Yeah. There true. there would be a little more control. There'd be a little bit more knowledge from ski patrol to the the pilots of where they can go and what they can do and how they can get rescued if they need it. Whereas right now it is still very cowboy, like you were saying, and everyone is kind of just pulling a wild card and doing things at their own risk without very much liability in the background here. What about from a, you know, from a, a lawsuit perspective, you know, so Gavin McClurg opens a speed riding school in Sun Valley and starts teaching people what, what certifications do I have to have? If any, uh, what kind of insurance do I need to have? You know, can I be sued? You know, what, what's, what's happening there? Because a lot of these families yeah. that are losing their kids have got to be pretty upset. So, yeah, I mean, there is a definite uh, struggle in that department for people to learn how to do this safely because you look at uh, some of the courses that we have out here and either they're a very paraglide-based course or a very skydive-based course. I mentioned the ranch earlier. Todd Higley out of Skydive Chelan actually does Speedfly Chelan, and they do a quite a bit of uh, teaching as well as um, events and whatnot. They have a speed fest that they do every year. But for him, his liability is mostly from his skydiving side, and he's able to use that insurance, I believe, through okay. Skydive Chelan. Okay, so that's totally – so are most of these like speed schools, are they are they umbrellaed under Ushpa, or are they doing their own thing? See, I think that's where there's still a very large gray area in the States because yeah. we don't – I mean, we have the mini wing license, but – the mini wing license is more related to people that are flying 17 meters and soaring on the coast, I believe, than full speed wings. Like speed riding or speed flying, terrain flying isn't something that we really have ratings for here yet. Let's get back to, you know, you were talking about people that come to you that, you know, they obviously see your videos and what you're doing and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, you got you got a buddy uh, that you really don't want to have get hurt. Um, you know, take me through, you know, where would you send them? Where's a good place to learn? Um, yeah. you know, where, where maybe, maybe they don't have the, the, they don't have the background that you did. You know, you're a little bit more yeah. concerned about their, their, uh, you know, cowboy side of things. Yeah. And that aspect, I definitely, I mean, I've been a ski instructor for years, so I really want to see people do things as safe as possible. Skydive Chelan, Speedfly Chelan does have actually a really good beginner hill. They have a little airport hill that you can shuttle with a car. About 500 feet, clean launch, clean landing, 
And I do recommend people to go. I tell people on a regular basis, if you're looking into this, go check in with Todd or go check in with Doug and Denise and the ranch and uh, try to learn as much as you can and get the best information you can so you can do this safely. Mm. But yeah, where you, where you go to the ranch or where you go at uh, Airport Hill there, if you're able to just go do laps on Airport Hill, get your launches and landings dialed and have someone like Todd who has some knowledge and experience giving you pointers on your launches and your landings and what you need to do better with your toggle control or if you're letting your wing dive out in front of you on a launch, which a lot of people do at the very beginning stages. They don't know how to catch the wing and keep it above their head. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the best I can really offer is those two programs up here. Mm. Um, it's tough because we don't have that many options. And for me to be able to take that on myself, if someone asks me, hey, you want to teach me? I tell them directly, I'm not insured for that. I'm not liable for that. And I do not want to be liable for your <laughs> your your injuries here. So I try to do the best I can to steer people in the right direction and uh, give them as much insight as I can through a professional basis. Is there, is there a common theme in the accidents you're seeing? I mean, is there, a, you know, could we put out a warning like, Hey, you know, these are the three things that are getting most people. Yeah. I think the most common theme that I would see three things wise. First one is people jumping down wing sizes way too fast. Hmm. I started in a 14, stuck with that 14 for two, three years before I downsized to a 10. And then now I've been flying this 9.5, which still, it's a big jump every time you go down. It's a big difference. So don't underestimate the power of a smaller wing. You're going to have a lot more learning curve to deal with when you're going that much faster. Uh, Two, the big thing that I see a lot in speed flying is... Yeah, people see videos like what Jamie Lee's doing or what uh, Valentine DeLuke are doing, grinding ski chairlifts with their skis while they're flying. And they think, okay, yeah, this is something I can do. And they instantly try and progress too fast. They skip a few steps. They start doing barrel rolls sooner than they should be or not really having a good solid idea of how to control their um, – their trim if they're coming in and doing terrain flying and being able to use rears or whatever to keep yourself at a nice glide ratio so that you're not buzzing the ground too hard or messing up in spots where you shouldn't be messing up. But basically, yeah, don't think that you're a hero right away. Take your time and learn how to do these maneuvers high off the ground. Go find a a big mountain that's, you know, 3000 vertical feet with a steep hill and practice all these barrel rolls and all these maneuvers up high before you even come close to coming down low with them. And then the third one that I would say is people just not taking courses altogether. They just get a wing. They think that, okay, I can get somebody that has a little bit of experience doing this, teaching me some stuff and I'll figure it out on my own. Don't ever recommend that to anybody. I highly recommend taking some professional courses from somebody. And if you have a P2 license, great. Um, still get somebody that has a ton of Speedwing experience to give you some knowledge on the Speedwing side because it's still going to be way different than, you know, coming off of a paraglider to a Speedwing's much, much more uh, quick reactionary time than being in a big wing. Mm, sure. Most common accident? I would say the most common accident I've seen lately is launches. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of people, either they'll go out and risk weather that's not quite the best. And I walk down from a lot of hikes. I'll, I'll spend two, three hours hiking. Um, a lot of the flights we have up here in Washington, we have some really good 6,000-foot vertical flights that you know you can spend five hours hiking and get a five-minute flight. But um, – Sometimes you get to the top and you have to hike all the way back down. And I think a lot of people get to the top of these hikes and they think, oh, I really don't want to hike back down. I'm going to try and risk this slightly funny wind that we have here. Something's coming over the backside or they're launching into the lee, which I don't ever recommend, but people still do. Yeah, there's that element of just like telling yourself, okay, it's not the right day. I shouldn't do this right now. Mm. And a lot of people kind of misjudge that and just get a little gung-ho and go for it. 
So are you seeing, are you, when, when you say, you know, most of the launches are, are there, they're launching into bad conditions or they're just blowing their launch? Um, both. both. Uh, okay. A lot of the launches we have in Washington here aren't like per se Crystal Mountain. They do some flying in the summer, but they don't have a manicured launch with AstroTurf. It's a lot of rocky terrain that we have out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch most of my videos, I'm putting up launches on mountaintops that don't really have a real precise launch area. It's just a little bit of a grassy knoll. And if you do botch that launch and let your wing get out ahead of you and start diving off your launch and clip yourself on a bush or clip yourself on a rock, that's where I see the worst accidents happening. Mm. Um, Mostly because a lot of people jump to, and this is what I was talking about earlier with starting out small, getting a ton of practice doing these small launch and landings but they'll jump to a, a big hill that's a little bit more above their ability rate too quick. And then they'll get to a launch up there, slightly panic and be like, okay, I didn't quite get that the way I wanted it to. You know, the winds pushed me down. I got a little sink. And then, yeah, you see people clipping, clipping launches on a regular basis. And that's usually where I see some of the worst injuries. Uh, the other two that I mentioned earlier was a clipped wing and, you know, you see that happening with people that fly at a really extreme level. And sometimes they just think about where their body is versus where their wing is. You always got to plan for an extra 15 feet of air space above you because that wing's wider than your body for sure. But um, they'll try to hit a slot through a tree gap. And yeah, of course, one of the wing tips will clip. And that's always something you see in the sport. But being able to just tell yourself, you know, that slot's not for me. It's kind of hard. You know, one of the one of the things we were seeing for a while, and I, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but then maybe that's, they're just not posting or I'm not paying as much attention. But, um, you know, guys were flying small wings who were clearly not, you know, very good paragliders I mean, so they were but they were mm-hmm. flying many they were flying small wings like in the middle of the day in in, in yes. thermic conditions and just taking no. this horrendous wax and spinning yeah. into the ground is that is that kind of I traveled through I the community exactly that that's not video you're talking about yeah and i'd heard that that um, was happening you know a lot and a, a lot around the world and and there were yeah. you know, a lot of the, like the chris santa croces and stuff were like these wings are not built for that you guys that you cannot no. thermal in a mini wing don't do it Agreed. And I've actually had my landlord is uh, one of the more well-known paragliders around here. And he'll uh, do some really long endurance flights out of Leavenworth, Washington, mm-hmm. and get himself up to 12, 13,000 feet over the enchantments, which is pretty impressive to see where he can go with a wing from from his house out to Glacier Peak all the way back. is It's pretty cool to see what it's he can do with flight. a big wing. Yeah. But he says the same thing. He'll get up there to launch for his paraglider and He's midday. I always hike early, early in the morning. I try to beat any type of sun coming down on it and get that crack of dawn flight because you want that smooth air for speed flying. But, uh, yeah, he'll go out to launch, and he keeps telling me he sees buddies that are going up there to launch midday in their speed wings. And I don't know what to tell those people sometimes. I mean, I tell them as much as I can, don't fly midday. But some people think that – Speed wings are just because of the higher wing loading ratio. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more stable, and you should be able to fly straight through that turbulence. It's not something I would put to the test. No, so. yeah, that's just that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things wrong with that. One, you don't have a reserve. You don't have any protection. Yes. You don't have any, yes. you know, and and they're not built for collapses. You know, exactly. <laughs> they're they they can be pretty and there's tricky. There's no SIV course for speed wings. I mean, no. Uh. I personally have been thinking myself. I really want to start flying with a belly mount reserve um, for some of the maneuvers I want to try in a speed wing, but. Yeah, I mean, that's, most of the time you're so idea. close to the ground that you don't really have time to throw a reserve. Yeah, but like you said, you know, that it, I, my one of the very first SIVs I ever took years and years and years ago with Jockey Sanderson, I asked him, it was the reserve day, and he was like, you know, I asked him, well, what's too low? And he, that doesn't exist. You know, yeah, he, he has yeah. seen reserves work yeah. from 10 feet. You know, if you, it makes you never know, you might, it might be just enough. And that fabric, that fabric mm-hmm. might grab a little branch of a tree, you know, it, yeah. it, you know, at so, least you've got it. 
I'm honestly for it. So I'm going to start looking into that for this next summer and actually have a trip planned in March down to New Zealand. So everything, hopefully if it works out, I might have the opportunity to go fly with uh, Jamie Lee Speedflyer, who's one of my, my idols. I look up to that guy and really love watching his flying so yeah yeah t- totally he's doing some re- really cool stuff yeah um well okay so let's not all be down about this you know what tell me about some of the cool sides of things like how about techniques um you know so, so people have run the gauntlet of the beginner and they've made it through and uh you know they they're starting to build some respect for the sport and they're on that 14 and they're starting to think about you know so tell me you know, when do you jump down? You know, when do you, when do you jump to a more advanced wing? You know, how do you, you know, how do you safely learn how to gap stuff and, and do barrel rolls and, you know, what's the, what's the methodology there? So like I was saying before, ideally always just start as high as possible, do as much of these maneuvers way up off the ground as you can. That way you have plenty of time to react and regain control if you kind of lose it on a barrel roll. I remember my first few rolls, one of one or two of them spun roll and a half and I was kind of like, okay, I got to correct this now. Just cuz the the pendulum effect on the bigger wings, they kind of keep wanting to go. Mm-hmm. You get into these smaller wings and things do get a little bit snappier and more precise, but um the control also becomes a little bit more um instinctual. Uh, when you get to the smaller wings and you do a roll and you don't actually need to preload your roll and get a couple of warm-up turns to get enough energy to get that roll around, it kind of, like I was saying, becoming part of one of the elements, you, you kind of become part of one of the wings. And when you know that you're handling the wing as one with it, then start progressing. But if you still feel like the wing's controlling you for the most part, don't move down until you kind of get the hang of it and you want it to really feel like it's attached to you. You want it to feel like you're you're one with it before you move down to something smaller. Are there are there things people could do? Uh, you know, that, what what I what I've heard from a lot of speed pilots here is that they're like, yeah, we get it, man. I, it makes sense to go, you know, to learn how to paraglide first and to get your license and stuff. But you know, you got to buy the wing and it's expensive, and you got to go to Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, are yeah. there other are there other things people could do to to you know to get the hours to get the time to get the ground handling to get you know to build a foundation, you know, without subjecting themselves to to the risks? A little bit. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. If you try to tell somebody to go learn how to skydive first, it's really expensive to go through the skydive progression. But I would honestly say I did a ton of kite flying as a kid trick kites, whatever you had, trilbies, whatever they were, foil kites for kiteboarding, they're very relative to what we're doing with speed wings. Mm. Um, And then once you get a speed wing, kite that thing as much as possible. I see a ton of people that have really horrible ground handling skills. They get out there, it's windy, and they can't they can't do anything with the wing. It just keeps collapsing or flopping over to one side. Get really comfortable with your kite handling skills and your ground handling skills. Any chance that you get when it's windy out, just go kite that thing. That's probably one of the biggest things I could tell to any beginner that will help them. Even with handling the wing in the air, if you're able to control it that much better on the ground, it'll be easier when it's in the air. Yeah, we've done we've done whole shows on on ground handling. That's cool that that that, that crossover is is, uh, yeah. is perfect. Yeah, that's the that that ground handling teaches you everything that could happen when it's up in the air. So it's yeah. it's just so mm-hmm. so critical. Um, and you see a ton of people transferring into speed flying that all they want to do is forward launch and find days where they can go train flying and never really have much of a chance to experience soaring or reverse launch or high wind launches and. Reverse launches is a totally different thing. Once you get out and you're on a coastal front and you have to stay in front of that wave and not let yourself get sucked behind the burble, that's honestly a great spot for people to learn things. Cape Kiwanda, you go out there on a day where it's pretty mellow, you can learn a lot about a speed wing in a short session. Hmm. When you when you get to you know your your Jamie Lee level, uh, 
you know, for, for me, so I, I really prefer speed riding, you know, I don't do a lot of foot launch stuff in the summer cause I'm mm-hmm. flying my paraglider and I like flying 10 hours instead of five minutes. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's, but, but I super dig it on skis. It's just, it's, it's very yeah. addictive, uh, and, and super I think fun. That's where, where most people get into it for. Yeah. And it, it, it's great. But the, you know, one thing for me is like still when I go out and work for my turds, you know, if I'm, if I'm, touring and uh and i've put all that effort into going up you know if the snow is decent i still actually prefer to ski yeah. i still prefer to yeah. make the turns down like how do you how do you guys kind of keep the stoke up i mean because it's to me it's it's this it's it's a game of you know when you first start it's it's epic you're flying and then you know to make it more exciting it's it's the wingsuit progression right you got to yeah. I mean, wingsuiters don't jump out of planes and fly down to the ground they 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 proximity fly that's what's exciting about it but that's also the dangerous side of it you know so is that uh, totally. is that what, what's this getting is a lot of people that i've had on my mind for months i've had this conversation with every sport that i get into and i mean you can call us adrenaline junkies call us what you want i like to say uh extreme sports connoisseur because <laughs> we're, we're pretty nerdy about this stuff. We research a lot. We try to make sure we know as much as we can. And yeah, I mean, I started out with mountain bike racing and there came a point where I was like, yeah, I'm not really that interested in this anymore. And hmm. yeah, you can lose that intensity. You can lose that stoke. But for me, a lot of the flying I've done has been solo stuff. Washington doesn't have a big crew. And for me to go put up a lot of first descents post most people don't have the experience or the the willingness to go hike some of these hikes so yeah it's intimidating being out there by yourself i try to let as many people know as i can where i'm going what i'm doing but right now my stoke is flying with more people like if i have more people to come out and teach just like i've been with snowboard instructing for years when i see a beginner out there learning something new even if there's just a little bit that i can tell them hey you know try this differently next time that makes me happy to see someone excited about something in that that element that i used to be in like the beginner stage being able to just share that with somebody's just as much stoke as going out and doing it for yourself at an extreme level is there is there a living yet to be made in speed flying are there are there sponsorships are there contracts is there money is there winnings um or is it all still pretty you know like you gotta get a red bull contract or something yeah, and you know, there's a few guys that have been able to figure out how to really make it work, but uh, not really. It's it's something I've been looking into in our local community. I want to start an event up at our local resort here, Stevens Pass. Mm-hmm. They've been really friendly with us for speed flying, and they allow us to take the chairlift up, but then fly just out of bounds. So we'll hike out a ridge, fly out of bounds, and that's great. But Ski Patrol there has actually been pretty willing to work with us. And I'm hoping that maybe even this spring we can convince them to do one day where they shut down one chairlift and then let us just do laps on it with speed wings and we could put up some gates on one of the runs. Movements like that is stuff that really needs to happen for there to be any type of money for it, I believe. Mm, get the spectators involved somehow. Mm-hmm, exactly. And there's a ton of spectators. I mean, there's a huge following in this sport for how small of a sport it is and how young it is, you look at guys like Jamie Lee, he's getting millions of views on his videos just because people are like, oh, this is like flying a wingsuit, but cooler almost. And I've heard this from wingsuit pilots. They're like, yeah, well, when we get tired of wingsuit base jumping, we'll grab a speed wing. <laughs> cool. Well, that'd be a little safer anyway, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I don't know about the whole base jumping thing to myself, but <laughs> right. a lot of people will say speed flying is the base jumping of paragliding. Yeah, whereas you know really you got is. skydiving, you got base jumping. Yeah, totally. What do you kind of envision for the? You know, where's it going to be in 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 five years? You know, that's a tough one. It's hard to see the next level of progression in these sports. And I've said that for every sport from, yeah. from biking to snowboarding. I, I grew up with all these things and I looked at them back in the day and I was like, Oh, people are doing, you know, a single flip and a 360, and now they have to do like quadruple flip and 1440s to be cool at all. But, um, you know, the progression with speed flying, there really is only so much you can do. You can, get really honed in with swooping and that's one thing that i would almost recommend 
learning a bit from skydivers. Um, yeah. Swooping in a speedwing is very different than swooping in a paraglider. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I actually did when I was in New Zealand. I worked at a end zone, and they had a really good guy there, Miles McCauley, who he does the uh, swoop challenge events over in uh, Belling or in Europe there in München. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, learning from someone that's got thousands and thousands of swoops makes things much easier than trying to go out there, especially with swooping. That's where most people get really messed up coming into the ground too hot. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. timing. So critical. It's precise. And with skydiving, they have beepers in their ear that go off at a certain altitude that they need to start their turns at speed flying. It's hard to get one of those altimeters to work the way you want it to. So it's a lot of reactionary. It's a lot of instinctual timing. Yeah, sure. As a community, uh, you know, like I know the guys here, they go over to Chamonix in the winter and they have a blast because mm-hmm. there's so many speed pilots there and stuff. Like if you're, um, you know, for the folks listening that are, you know, starting to get some hours and, and uh, starting to look for like cool trips, cool places, yeah. cool times of the year, you know, do you have any recommendations there? Like, you know, communities that yeah. are doing it right, that are doing it safe, that are supportive. So, Chamonix is amazing. I just got to visit there last uh may and the amount of terrain that they have to fly there but same thing regulations much more strict than you would expect you think you go to the alps and everybody's just hooting and hollering doing crazy stuff which yeah there's some some different levels of perspective over there but very strict on where you can land where you're supposed to be flying regulation of times with airplane traffic and whatnot but yeah, huge difference in the actual amount of people that fly and the stoke that there is for it. Uh, I feel like there's just a different level of passion in Europe than we have sometimes here in the States. People really get passionate about things over there. Yeah, they get into it, don't they? So Europe's good. You've mentioned Jamie, so you said New Zealand, the New Zealand Alps New Zealand's really good. Um, And yeah, so Europe's great in terms of accessibility you have places where you're allowed to take the gondola up you're allowed to take chairlifts up and then they have designated launch zones that say here this way to the launch zone where in the states there's a lot of places that you know there's signs that ban flying there's signs that say no flying here type deal new zealand similar you have gondolas where you can buy a paragliding ticket and specifically take the gondola up to go paragliding all day so um, accessibility is huge there. And if you're a beginner, highly recommend doing a trip to one of these places because you can get a lot of laps in. Whereas here, a lot of what you're doing is hike of flights mm-hmm. and you don't get as much airtime. Get really strong legs, but you don't get as much flight time. <laughs> you know, when, when we when we look at it from afar and you kind of see like what hang gliding and you know, base and all these other, you know, quote unquote, extreme sports of, you know, the, the progression that what they've gone through paragliding, you know, do you have a shout out to the speed community about, you know, that, that, you know, from an organizational standpoint, you know, what, what kind of needs or what should, if anything happen there from a, you know, like a groundswell kind of, uh, perspective you know it sounds like you know because europe just has the accessibility and the lifts and people don't sue each other uh as much as it's not (laughs) as litigious as here you know they they uh but it sounds like i mean it sounds like you're you're saying that you know regulation can be a really good thing i mean is that is that something that that needs to happen here yeah i honestly feel like it does and i mean you know, for example, you look at what happened with Dean Potter and those guys wingsuiting in Yosemite. That place has been banned for flying ever since the beginning. And I know you've thought it. I know we've all thought it. That place would be a mecca for flying. Mm. Um, but yeah, just the fact that people are pushing these things at dusk or dawn. And, you know, some of the ski resorts allow us to fly right after the last chair. But that's, you know, four o'clock. It's starting to get dark. And you know, visibility is not as good. The depth perception is not as good. And that's, I'm sure, what happened with Dean Potter and those guys. Um, they're flying at dusk. So if we were able to legalize it, have more regulation, allow people to go fly during the times of day where it's really safe to be out there and manageable, I feel like that would be the best progression or the best step forward for the sport in terms of being able to fly at a resort like I was saying, uh, Christopher Marin doing quite a bit with ski patrol to make sure that they're checking people's mini wing licenses and ratings. I feel like 
if we can get that initiative to really start in our community, um, which I know is hard. A lot of people just want to go cowboy and be wild out there and not have to pay for permits or licenses. But yeah, that would probably keep us all safer, keep us all a little bit more knowledgeable about what's going on with the rest of the community and allow us to have more places to go fly. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I, I, I really see a need for kind of standardizing things a little bit. And I'm, you know, I'm not for rules as much as anybody else is, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the writings on the wall to an extent that if the, if the accidents continue, it's just going to yeah. be, we're going to have less and less places to fly. And, and exactly. that, that sucks. Exactly. You know, they banned it from Jackson last year and uh, it's just, you know, they banned it from Alta. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, that, yeah. Anyway, I, I, so it, that's a great place to end. Maybe a shout out to the community. Those of you who are, who are listening, you know, band together. That's how things change yeah. is, you know, becoming a group and, working to find a solution and cause it is a bitching sport and it is a lot of yeah. fun. And I know most of the guys that are at the upper level and actually putting themselves out there and putting a good name out for the sport, they would say the same thing. Just try to stay safe and put a good name out there for us. Cause yeah, it's like base jumping. It's a small group. It's a small scene. And if we keep losing people, people are going to start looking at us funny and being like, should we allow these guys to jump? I know Chamonix just banned, wingsuit base jumping off of Gula because one too many people passing away. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. We don't want to lose those privileges. Yep. Great. Patrick, awesome place to end. Uh, I really appreciate your time, man. And I'm, I'm stoked to fly with you here one of these days. I dig the Would Northwest. I get up there a lot. So, uh, we'll, we'll put that in our, uh, to do list. Um, but thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. We've been trying to put this together for weeks and I'm glad we finally did. That was, that was super, uh, informative. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Gavin. One more shout out to uh, 510 Shoes for helping me out, as well as Kavu, Clear Above Visibility Unlimited. It's a uh, local Washington clothing company. They've been great, supportive, helping me get out there, as well as if you're enjoying the uh, flying that you've been seeing, come follow me on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, Patrick.Hennessy or Patrick Hennessy as an athlete. And uh, hope to see you guys out there. Cool, yeah, and I'll put all those links up in the show notes. Uh, Barry's a good friend of mine at the Kavu. Tell him I said hi. And, nice, uh, cool. Good guy. cool, Patrick. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Gavin. Have a good one. And I hope you enjoyed that. If you're getting something out of the show, if you're getting something out of the mayhem, either through uh, either you're flying better or just from an entertainment value or both, uh, help support the show. This is a listener-supported podcast. We're not doing it with sponsors. Uh, you can do that in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, financial, of course, is the most obvious. You can find those links to support us either through PayPal or through patreon.com forward slash mayhem, where you can kind of set it and forget it and you only pay when content comes out. You can set that at a dollar or two dollars. All we've ever asked for is a buck a show, but if you, if you contribute more, you get t-shirts and hats and all kinds of stuff. Uh, or you can support us by just spreading the word. Tell your friends, put it out there on Facebook or social media. Uh, talk about it on the way up to launch. I think I just was down in Mexico at the Menarca, and I was amazed with how many people were talking about. It. You know, they, they they talk about it and argue about it on the way up to launch, and you know, it, it seems to be making the community a lot safer and also a lot better. And so that's pretty exciting. But you can also support it just by following me on Instagram or Facebook or any of those. I can leverage that into my sponsorship contracts every year, so that goes a long way. Uh, let us know who we should talk to. I've got a big long list. We've got a whole bunch of these in the can. So stay tuned for more. We'll see you on the next show. See you at Cloudbase. Cheers. Oh, oh, oh.